time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test, you know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test, you know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress Yo, what's good, City Point? It is so awesome to be able to be with you all. I am, of course, coming to you live and direct from the crib. Uh, we're doing something uh, something special and transitioning with our uh, production team this month where we are getting ahead of everything, being very proactive, and we are now uh, batch recording content during the first week of every month. So that was this week. And uh, we are recording a month in advance. So we've been... Uh, doing all the creative work to record all the content for May this week. And it's been a phenomenal week. Uh, our team has worked exceptionally hard. Um, and then next week and the following week, they'll be investing time with editing and producing graphics. Uh, and then for the fourth week, we'll be uh, doing our pre-production to get ready uh, to do it all over again the next month. But in order to shift into this new way of doing things, uh, I am taking the burden off of our team. Uh, which would just be crazy if they also had to edit a sermon for each week um, while we are going into this new model. So I'm coming to y'all live and direct from the crib this week, next week and the following week. And I think that actually, given the topic that we're talking about, it's going to actually make sense for us to be more intimate uh, in a more intimate setting uh, for these sermons. Uh, I have been told that I need to give this announcement. I'm looking forward to it as well. Uh, on next Sunday, uh, so April 18th, we are going to be doing our new members social. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to it. We have increased already by nine members um, as a part of City Point Community Church. So those of you know, um, we have been setting some really big goals for the growth of our congregation, and we've already gotten off to a really, really great start. So I'm super excited about that. So we'll be having a new member social next Sunday, April 18th. It'll be at 1130 uh, a.m. So pretty much like right after service, we'll be having that new member social. And uh, let me give you the information for it real quick. I have it. Uh, I have it here. Um, so you will get a chance to meet leadership, You'll learn about the church, how to get involved. Uh, also about like games that are coming up um, to get engaged with and also community groups. And so if you are a new member I and you are not just new this year, but you have never uh, uh, been able to do like a new member social because we were not able to do them last year. Come on out to the new member social. I look forward to being able to connect with you. Um, the phone number is 847-877-9729. And so you're going to text new member social to that phone number. Let me give it to you one more time. Text new member social to 847 847- 877-9729. 847-877-9729. And we'll be in touch uh, if you leverage that to register. So I'm looking forward to jumping right into the message. I don't want to uh, to lose any time um, with um, with the message today. So I'm looking forward to, to starting this series and I've been looking forward to it actually for quite some time and have been prayerful about it. Um, the title of this series is Deconstructing the Bible, Deconstructing the Bible. So not looking to destroy the Bible at all, uh, not looking to dismantle the Bible at all, but looking to help us gain a critical eye 
um, and to just ask ourselves some critical questions about like how we um, how we use the Bible and how we've been taught to use it so that we can do it with fidelity. Um, and uh, and so I'm, I'm going to be pushing y'all uh, over these next several weeks. So get yourself ready and uh, know that I am absolutely available. Um, there is a slide that will uh, will get posted. Hopefully they still have this slide uh, where you can connect with me to connect one on one. You can schedule time uh, to get one on one time with me on a calendar if you want to talk about anything. But then also, especially during this series, if you want to just talk on a pastoral level about like, hey, pastor, I'm struggling with some of these things, uh, given what the sermon has been about. I'd love to be able to connect with you. We can connect one on one for a Zoom uh, to talk through things as well. So let's pray. God, in Jesus name, we thank you for giving us a chance to jump into your word. We thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and it is a light unto our path. I pray that you will let us during this time think critically and think deeply about your word and how we might best use your word to accomplish your will in the earth. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's jump right into this. Let's jump right into this. The title of today's sermon is What If We're Wrong? What If We Are Wrong? So I remember being told something by a friend, matter of factly, some years ago. It was about a certain celebrity having had a child by another celebrity. Now, I had no reason to believe that it wasn't true when this was told to me. But some years after, I found myself parroting the same information when somebody had mentioned that celebrity by name, I, I said, you know that she has a baby by so-and-so. And, and so this person who was a friend of me and Carla's, uh, who was hanging out with us at the house was like, no. And so I proceeded to assert that I was pretty sure that it was indeed true. And she was like, no. And so she began to push and she was like, yo, like neither this person or this person's sister like has any children. So like, no, that is not legit. And so in that moment, I was left retract retracing quickly, like where I had gotten this information from that I had decided was a fact. And I was struck with the fact that here I was certain about something that I was absolutely wrong about. This incident, even though it has been a few years now, this incident sticks with me. Not because it's the only time that I've been wrong about something, because that truthfully it has happened many times since then. But this has stuck with me because embar embarrassingly, I was carrying and spreading some information that could have negative, that could have had negative consequences for somebody else's reputation, somebody else's life. And even though I was spreading this without having any sort of malicious intent, that would not have negated the harm. Maybe you've done this type of thing before, or, or maybe you have felt the brunt of the negative effect of things being stated about you that was simply not true, that were wrong. You understand the power and potency of words and ideas that have been spoken and asserted with certainty, yet unbeknownst to the person speaking it, it was untrue. When this happens, reputations get damaged, right? Friendships get severed. Families get, tor get torn about. People become alienated. Jobs get lost. All because something was said about them 
or a claim was made that they did something and that claim was wrong. I'll tell you another quick story. I was driving home. This is not even, this is maybe like four or five months ago, right? I was driving home. I was stopped at a red light. The light turned green and I prepared to go through the intersection and I was like making a left and the car coming toward me did not stop at their red light. And so here I am like out into this intersection and like this, I look to the left and this car is like still coming at me and this car isn't stopping. And then all of a sudden the car slams on the brakes as I proceeded to go through the intersection. It was nearly a collision between me and that car. As I drove away, you know, I'm thankful and I'm grateful that this accident has been averted. But a few seconds after that, I wondered, was my light really green or did I just imagine that? As I went through the intersection, I assumed that that other driver was wrong, that that other driver did not stop at their red light. But there was this acute possibility that entered into my mind that maybe while I thought that light was was green, while I thought that I was right, maybe I was the one that was in the wrong. For the sake of today's sermon, I want to take you on a journey that might be a little bit uncomfortable. But I want to ask you this question when it comes to some of the things that we believe about the Bible and what it teaches. What if we're wrong? As wrong as I may have been when my mind believed that I saw a green light but saw a red light. As wrong as I was when I parroted the disinformation that someone else had given me about a celebrity. What if we're wrong? I, I want to push us a bit to look at the New Testament. And I want to look specifically at some of the social instructions that Paul gives to the churches in his letters to them. We've taken these letters, these epistles of Paul, and we have turned them into scripture and we have elevated the apostles, Apostle Paul's instructions to the churches to be commands from God. We've made decisions on the roles of women in the church and the roles of women in the family. We have justified enslavement. We have regulated sexuality and we have sanctioned patriarchy based in part on these scriptures. And I want to say to you emphatically, make no mistake about it. I want to establish this out from the outset. I love the Bible. It is a balm to my wounds. It is a lamp unto my feet. It is a light unto my path. But the question that I want to raise to you this morning is what if the way that we have been taught and become accustomed to using the Bible, what if we're wrong? Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want to I do it. This is going to be a little bit of Bible reading today. It is, it is, um, it's going to be quite a few verses that I want to read to you, but I want you to stick with me. 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says in verse 1, first of all, I ask you to pray for everyone. Ask God to help and bless them all and tell God how thankful you are for each of them. Pray for kings and others in power so that we may live quiet and peaceful lives as we worship and honor God. This kind of prayer is good and it pleases God, our Savior. God wants everyone to be saved and to know the truth, which is there is only one God and Christ Jesus is the only one who can bring us to God. 
Jesus was truly human and he gave himself to rescue all of us. God showed us this at the right time. This is why God chose me to be a preacher and an apostle of the good news. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. God sent me to teach the Gentiles about faith and truth. I want everyone to lift innocent hands toward heaven and pray without being angry or arguing with each other. I would like for women to wear modest and sensible clothes. They should not have fancy hairdos or wear expensive clothes or put on jewelry made of gold or pearls. Women who claim to love God should do helpful things for others and they should learn to be quiet and paying attention. Excuse me, learn by being quiet and paying attention. They should be silent and not be allowed to teach or to tell men what to do. After all, Adam was created before Eve and the man Adam was the one who and the man Adam wasn't the one who was fooled. It was the woman Eve who was completely fooled and sinned. But women will be saved by having children if they stay faithful, loving, holy and modest. Let's jump down, jump down to chapter three, uh, verse 14, chapter three, verse 14. Now, Paul says, I hope to visit you soon. But I'm writing these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how everyone who belongs to God's family ought to behave. After all, the church of the living God is the strong foundation of truth. Chapter five, let's jump down to chapter five. Verse seven says, tell all of this to everyone so that they will do the right thing. People who don't take care of their relatives and especially their own families have given up their faith. They are worse than someone who doesn't have faith in the Lord. For a widow to be put on the on the list of widows, she must be at least 60 years old and she must have been faithful in marriage. She must also be well known for doing all sorts of good things, such as raising children, giving food to strangers, welcoming God's people into her home, helping people in need and always making herself useful. Don't put young widows on the list. They may later have a strong desire to get married. Then they will turn, turn away from Christ and become guilty of breaking their promise to him. Besides, they will become lazy and get into the habit of going from house to house. Next, they will start gossiping and becoming busybodies, talking about things that are none of their business. Verse 14, almost done. Verse 14, I would prefer that young widows get married, have children, and look after their families. Then the enemy won't have any reason to say insulting things about us. Look what's already happened to some of the young widows. They have turned away to follow Satan. Church leaders, verse 17, church leaders who do their job well deserve to be paid twice as much, especially if they work hard at preaching and teaching. Verse 23, stop drinking only water. Take a little wine to help your stomach trouble and the other illnesses you always have. So I want to ask you a question. You know God apart from the Bible. As the old song says, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. You know God apart from the from knowing the Bible. Right. And so my question is, does this sound like the God that, you know, now, now, now let me parse this for you. This may sound like some godly people that, you know. But, but my question is, and, and let me also state that I do believe that Paul is godly, but my question to you today is, does this sound like the God whom you talk to when you get on your knees on the side of the bed at night? 
Does this sound like the God who comforts you? The one who over the years you have built this relationship with. Does this sound like God? I, I want to submit to you for consideration that Paul is anointed. Paul is powerful. Paul is called. Paul is anointed by God. But it is possible that these may simply be Paul's words, not God's. It is possible that Paul is writing based on his own thoughts about what is and what is not acceptable behavior. So I want to submit to you three things that we ought to consider when we read this passage, these passages that I just read and passages in general that deal with social issues, whether we are talking about social issues within the family or social issues within the church. Let me submit to you three things that we should consider. First of all, we should be considering context, right? Raising the question, what's happening in the text? So in this particular text, right, Paul is writing to his, we believe it is Paul, writing to his mentee, Timothy. Timothy is young. We, we know that from, from Paul writing in 2 Timothy. Also, in, in 1 Timothy, Paul references Timothy's youth. He says, don't let anybody look down on you because you are young. Right. And so we know that Timothy has this youth thing. We know that Paul is sensitive to it. Timothy is a bishop or an overseer or like the leader of the churches in Ephesus, in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is a big city. It is a popular city. It's a big job for Timothy to have to be overseeing. You have to think about it this way. It, it, it should not be simply thought of as like the church, right? Like they have a building that they go to and like Timothy is kind of like the pastor. It is possible that there is a network of like multiple house churches in the city of Ephesus, right? The, the church did not become big and institutional till many years later. The way that they started were just like what we would consider like our community group, right? Like group of people that get together that are believers uh, and they, and they do life together and they get in the word together. Uh, um, Timothy is the leader of this network, likely, of churches, but he is young. And so Paul is writing a letter to him to give him instructions on how he ought to handle things, how things ought to go within the church. And so 1 Timothy, right, which has made itself into scripture, this is effectively a preserved letter that Paul has written to his mentee, Timothy, who is the leader to tell him how he ought to be managing things. So this is akin to like me writing um, to my mentee, Teddy Matthews, who pastors Empowerment Church. This is akin to me shooting Teddy an email to say, hey, great job leading the church. You're doing a phenomenal job over at Empowerment. Here's some things to think about as you lead that church. And it is akin to somebody else getting that email and for the next 2000 years, people referencing that email um, to mean that this is the way that things should function for all times. Right. And I think that we have to be very careful when we take things out of context. Right. So that is what is happening here in the context. And it is very important that we consider it. I think secondly, important for us to consider is the culture. Right. What's the culture that they are in as Paul writes this? Paul is a Jew. Timothy is half Jewish. The church at the church at Ephesus is mostly Gentile. 
even though there are these cultural distinctions, right, between Jews and Gentiles, one thing is pervasive, and that is patriarchy, right? These ideas, these notions, right, that men ought to be the ones that are in charge of society and leading society and leading the family, right? Like, this is the culture, this is the way that things are, and this is what is socially acceptable at the time. So understanding that that is the context and that this is the culture, I want to submit to you that it is very possible that when Paul writes, Paul is writing based on the context, but Paul is also based writing based on his understanding of what is to be considered right, what is deemed proper based on the culture. Let me shift into this third piece that is very important, third and final piece is we need to consider the characters. So here, in this te- in the text that we just read, it's Paul and Timothy. I want us to consider for a moment that it is very possible that when Paul talks about these things that like, I don't know, I don't know if this happened for y'all, but like seriously for me, some of these things were cl- cringeworthy. When Paul says, um, In verse 11, and they should learn to be, they should learn by being quiet and paying attention. They should be silent and not be allowed to teach or to tell men what to do. And then here's his basis. Here's his argument. After all, verse 13, Adam was created before Eve. What? Like, it sounds like little kids saying like, it sounds like my daughter telling her friends that I can boss you around because I'm bigger than you, right? And like them standing up next to each other, shoulder to shoulder to like measure who is the tallest. Paul says, after all, Adam was created before Eve, verse 14. And the man Adam wasn't the one who was fooled. It was the woman Eve who was completely fooled and sinned. But women will be saved by having children if they stay faithful, loving, holy, and modest. So... I want to submit to you that like based on the language, based on even the structure of the argument, right? Like it's not a strong argument because like women should be quiet in church because Adam was formed first. Women should be quiet in church because Adam wasn't the one fooled. Eve was fooled. And so that means that like all the billions of women that got created since then are susceptible to be fooled as a pattern after Eve, whereas men somehow are like infallible and like won't be fooled. It's it's a it's not even a shaky argument. Like it isn't an argument at all. And so I want to submit to you when we start thinking about the character. Maybe this is just Paul as Paul talking as Paul. It is possible for Paul to be anointed, to be powerful, to be appointed by God, but to be a man of his times. Right. In the same way that very anointed, powerful, like preachers of the past decades and centuries at the same time may have been anointed and had the word of God in them. But what came out of them were also very sexist things, very racist things very misogynist things because they were speaking through the filter and through the lens through which they saw, they saw the world through which they saw the world. 
I, I want us to, to look at, at one other thing as well. Uh, chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says, I hope to visit you soon, but I'm writing these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how everyone who belongs to God's family ought to behave. Paul makes it clear here that the only reason I'm writing this is because I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to tell you face to face. And so this thing that we have, this letter that we have elevated as scripture, Paul is effectively saying, bro, I probably would have just sat you down and said this to you just person to person. But I'm writing it just in case. What this says to me is that this is personal. This is between a mentor and a mentee. And it should not be something that we are using 2000 years later to determine roles within a church or roles within the family. That there are there are sisters that have been called by God to do this work of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they are being Jim Crowed or have been Jim Crowed out of pulpits across this country because of how people interpret this passage. And I just want to say, like, what if we're wrong? Paul is he goes on. He's talking about like putting widows on a list, talking about putting widows on a list. Right. Like what if we're just wrong? Right. Like this seems deeply personal, contextual for a certain time and space. And here we are elevating it as if it is God. What if we are wrong. He he in here is talking about, you know, like church leaders who do their jobs well should be paid twice as much, especially if they're they work hard at preaching or teaching. He's discussing like payroll things. This seems deeply personal, like we should not be reading this 2000 years later to construct theology off of it. Verse 23, he tells Timothy, stop drinking only water. Take a little wine to help your stomach trouble and the other illnesses you always have. This is personal. He is telling this. He is talking about this man's medical issues and giving him home remedies for his stomach troubles. This is personal. Council of Nassim gets together and decides that this should be included in a canon of acceptable scriptures. And here we are 1600 years after that happened. We are building entire theologies off this. And so that's my word for today. I plan throughout this month to be pushing us to consider these types of things. What if we're wrong? What if the way that we view scripture? Well, what if the way that we have taken all these things to be literal? What? What if we're wrong? I pray that you'll be with me throughout these uh, next few weeks as we go on this journey, as I push you, as I push you to think critically about scripture, um, as I push you to think critically about how we have been taught to use scripture. I hope that you'll stay with me uh, throughout this time. Let us pray. Father, in Jesus name, we thank you. We thank you for getting us going along the start of thinking critically about scripture. I pray in Jesus name that you will open up our hearts to receive what you have to say. Uh, and I pray that you will open up our eyes to understand how you would have us to use this book that we have been handed down. It's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. That's the word for today, y'all. Peace.